You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we go backstage at the ACG Grow Awards. ACG is the Association of Corporate Growth, where these awards, they happen once a year and they're given to companies that are passing anyone's expectations. They're changing the world. Well, I don't even need to go into detail right now because you're going to hear from some of the award winners and you're going to be utterly impressed by what they're doing. So before we begin, I want to make a note that each of these interviews are about five minutes in length. Some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Some of the people that you're going to get information and knowledge from, their household names. I think you're going to be pretty impressed by who they are. But even before that, I got to thank ACG Silicon Valley, Yvonne, the team there for allowing me to have these interviews, to conduct these interviews. I can't, I can't say enough thanks to well, ACG as a whole. It's an amazing organization that I've met so many great people from. And well, I continue to be more and more involved and continue to get so much out of it. So thank you everyone there. And now with that, let's begin this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. I'm here with Nabil Ahmed, the CFO of Outset Medical. Now, Nabil, could you tell us about the origin of your company and the history of how you created such award-winning technology? Sure. First of all, thank you, Sean, for giving us this opportunity. And thank you for ACG for this opportunity. It's a privilege to be here. Now, in terms of kind of the technology, we were founded back in 2010, Sean, essentially as a water purification company with some technology out of the University of Oregon. And at the time, Warburg Pincus, one of the biggest names in healthcare investing, was our seed investor. They didn't really know sort of where they wanted to take the technology. And then our CEO, Leslie, joined and saw this need in dialysis. And this need in dialysis was really rooted in what I will call indignation. So there are, for those of you who don't know, there are roughly 790,000 people with end-stage kidney disease, roughly 600,000 of those folks in the U.S. alone who need dialysis. And dialysis is a chronic condition. You do it and until you get a transplant or God forbid, right? And so what she saw was an industry where People were robbed of their agency. People were robbed of their sort of dignity. People on dialysis were told when they could dialyze, where they had to go. They didn't have control over their schedule, over their time, even where they got to sit, right? And so we took this technology, started at its water purification, and built a home dialysis device. And again, our premise, Sean, is that we want to restore agency and dignity to patients give them the ability to dialyze anytime, anywhere, sort of at their homes, and be able to be present in their lives. So we wanted to shift people from sort of having to dialyze when they were told to, to be able to dialyze around their own lives. How do you think your technology long-term is going to affect society? Yeah, Sean, so the movement is underway. So we are, we went commercial in 2018. We got our home approval in 2020. And our focus now is on getting Tableau, our device, into the hands of more and more patients to allow them to sort of not be bound to these clinics where, again, where they're told when to go, how often to go, all that stuff, but rather to allow these people to be able to dialyze on their own time, right? So essentially, 
in the future, our technology is really going to be about getting more and more people back to where they need to be, getting them back to home. From the beginning till now, was there any hurdles you had to overcome with raising capital? Or how did you go about the whole development of this amazing technology? Yeah, Sean. So we have raised about $450 million of private capital prior to going public in September 2020. Our initial investor was Warburg Pincus, to whom we're eternally grateful. And over time, we've been able to assemble kind of the who's who of medtech investing. Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Mubadala, D1 Capital, of course, Warburg, and many others. And we're grateful to them too for all of their support. Now, in terms of challenges, the word sort of that leaps to mind for me is it's a little bit of conviction, right? I mean, we have been at this 2010 was the founding 2020 was kind of the home approval and then late 2020 our ipo it took a lot of people to have conviction in our story leslie our ceo talks about having investors sort of not be interested given the audacity of what she was trying to do i mean our device sean it's about 36 inches high it's about 18 inches square and in this one box we have water purification we make dialysate fluid the stuff that cleans your blood on demand we have a touch screen with a graphical user interface we've designed something that can be used from the home to the hospital all in one box that has taken a lot of engineering a lot of conviction a lot of time and so one of the big challenges was having investors having employees having people who would be around for that ride and ultimately see it to fruition What excites you the most about this technology? Sean, what excites me the most is it is restoring dignity to human beings. Dialysis is an area where people were told that just good enough is all they would get. I mean, you need this life-sustaining therapy. You have to go to a clinic three times a week, four times a week, whatever your prescription is, you got to go between one and five. So, I mean, that is disruptive on people's lives. We have one of our patients who is a musician. I mean, this guy used to be in a clinic. He now is using our technology at home and he is able to actually go on tour and perform because of what we have been able to give him, what we've, what our technology has been able to give him. And so that, that is what makes us, that is what makes me the most excited about technology. We are giving patients freedom. That is an amazing example. And your company is the winner of the Grow Award here today at ACG. How does this award, what does it mean to outset medical? So first of all, we're very grateful to ACG for this honor. What it means to us, it's really around visibility. So number one, it's visibility for all of the people who've been at our company on this 10 plus year journey of getting the technology launched, right? People who have worked hard, investors who have trusted us with their capital. This is visibility for them of kind of what it takes to sort of get this technology to fruition. That's number one. Second thing, it's visibility to dialysis patients. Dialysis patients, you know, at some level, it feels like they've been ignored. We've seen all kinds of innovation in cardiology, in orthopedics, in all these stages of all these sort of verticals within healthcare. And dialysis has not seen technology innovation for years. We're only the second technology to get approval for use in the home. And so again, it's shining a light on the dialysis, on the renal space, I think is huge because we'd love to see more innovation in the space. And the third thing, Sean, very honestly, is look, we are at Microsoft's beautiful campus in Silicon Valley and med tech, which is what we are, is like in the shadows of all these tech giants, right? And I love the fact that you guys, that ACG is highlighting a med tech company because not only do we build great technology like others, we get to do it in a way that also helps human beings on a very direct basis. 
And Bill, I want to thank you for your time. And once again, congratulations on the award today. Thank you, Sean. We're here with Bachami, who is the president of product and engineering at Zoom. Bachami, how do you balance the need for innovation and the need for privacy and security with your technology? Sean, both are pretty important. The innovation as well as the privacy and the security. I think what we try to do is make sure that privacy and security is built as part of the DNA of the product. So our release cycle always has checks and balances for privacy and security. And there is checks at every stage for privacy and security when we release the product. Can you share any notable or unexpected use cases of your technology? I would say there were a lot of unexpected consumer use cases, but I would say the biggest is like how our technology has actually helped support the new way of work. You know, if you look at how work was a couple of years back, we all go to the office and then it all changed to we all work from home. And then now it is all changing with every company has its own faced approach of having like workers in the office, hybriders, workers remote, frontline workers. So how do we actually support all of these use cases? That's basically the uniqueness that we see. And then we are building a platform that's flexible enough to handle all these different use cases and give the customers the flexibility to go at the pace that they want. And what excites you about the future of Silicon Valley? I would say one is all the people at Silicon Valley. The other is this is a place where somebody with a good idea, with a lot of passion, can actually shake up big companies. That excites me a lot. Being a big company now, is there anything that shakes you up? <laughs> I would say we, we always think of us as a small company and we always have a like a day one mentality. Our focus is always customer focused. And we try to make sure that we don't become one of these big companies with a lot of processes and things that slow us down. So that's one of our goals internally. How do you keep lean and also very agile so innovation is not slowed down? And we're here at the ACG Grow Awards. How does organizations like ACG help the ecosystem and also win in the Grow Award? What does that mean for Zoom? I think recognition is very important. When you're a small company or large company getting recognized, I think it does two things. One is it gives us recognition outside the company, but it also affects the people that are our employees. I mean, they're all, it makes everybody proud that the company that they work for has won an award. And I think the ACG award, I think we are all very thrilled on winning the award. And I think other companies and continuing to do this would actually help the ecosystem a lot. Fantastic, Balchami. Thank you and congratulations on winning today's award. Thanks, Sean. Here with Guy Kawasak. Guy, how do you stay up to date with the latest trends and advancements in technology? Oh, what a bullshit question. I read. What do you think? Actually, I'm really active on social media and I view myself as a sort of not creator, but editor. So I'm not creating original TikTok videos. I'm not creating necessarily original posts. I'm trying to find good stories that people might not find any other way. And so this requires a lot of reading every day. So I use a new app called Artifact. I use Google News. I use Smart News. I use about four or five things. And I'm just reading all day long, trying to find five or 10 good stories that I can share. So as a consequence, because I spend so much time <laughs> reading all that stuff, I'm pretty up to date. <laughs> With all this, how do you have time? How do you go about building a personal brand? So, listen, I fundamentally disagree with the concept of building a personal brand. I think that a personal brand is developed because of what you accomplish, right? 
So whenever I hear people saying, how do you develop a personal brand? It implies that they're going to have this plan and they're going to write white papers. They're going to give speeches. They're going to go on TED Talks. They're going to write books, blah, 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 because they're trying to build their personal brand. I think all of that is bullshit. I think that the way you build a personal brand is you do remarkable things. And if you do remarkable things, guess what? Your brand will happen. So case in point, at an extreme, I don't know this for fact, but I kind of doubt that Steve Jobs ever said to himself, how do I build my personal brand? Steve Jobs founded Apple, Apple One, Apple Two, Macintosh iPhone, iPod, iPad, Genius Bar. Now, he didn't do all of those, but you know, you kind of affiliate him with all that, right? Now, there was Newton and Lisa and Apple III, so he's not 100%, but he's probably seven for 10, which is about six more than anybody else. When you think of Steve Jobs, you think of this amazing, visionary, technical genius, Steve Jobs. That's not because he wrote a white paper or he had a PR firm build his personal brand or all that. It's because he really accomplished good stuff. So, duh, do good stuff and your brand will happen. What question have you not been asked that you wish someone would ask you? I've been on so many things that I can't think of a question that I want to be asked. I can think of questions I don't want to be asked. But really, and I got to say, I don't sit around thinking, oh, God, If only somebody would ask me this, it would be this great opportunity to position myself and my personal brand. You already know what I think about personal brands. So that there is really, what can I say? Okay, I got a question. Hockey or surfing, what's the better sport? Well, listen, I started hockey at 44, having never skated before. I'm from Hawaii. There's no such thing as pond hockey in Hawaii. There's shave ice, but there's not pond hockey. And I loved hockey. From the first step, I loved hockey. took me 10 years to get adequate. (laughs) I just loved hockey because it was aerobic. It was also sort of a combination of math and physics about ricocheting and the line of the puck and all that kind of stuff. And it was very cerebral because you have to keep track of, obviously, your own self. But then you have four more teammates on the ice. You have a goalie. And then you got to think of the five other people and then their goalie. And unlike many other sports where the ball goes out of bounds and you got to retrieve it and whatever, the pucks do go outside sometimes, but not that often. So it's continuous action, right? And in hockey, unlike football or soccer, whichever way you call it, there's not a lot of flopping. Right. So in, when you watch soccer and the guy's writhing on the ground and you think, oh my God, his leg has been broken. And then 30 seconds later, he's back in action. It's such total bullshit, right? There's no such thing in hockey. You would be laughed out of hockey. Anyway, you asked me a simple question. So anyway, I loved hockey. And then my daughter took up surfing seriously. So I decided to take up surfing seriously. And I got to tell you, I loved surfing. So I gave up hockey for surfing. I think surfing is harder than hockey. In a sense, surfing with hockey, more or less, the ice is the ice, the glass is the glass. With surfing, there are arguably more variables because now there's the reef, the wave, the direction of the wave. 
the wind, the other surfers, your board. I mean, there's a lot of variables. So surfing is something that until you're very good at it, it takes total concentration. I have not reached that point yet, so I can't go much beyond this in discussion. But I surf almost every day now. It's a good way to start the morning or end the yeah, day. Yeah, that's how I started this morning. Yeah. Not a question, but I went to school at UCSD. My my routine was surf in the morning, have yeah. a six eight board that I had in the Jeep, and then rinse off, then do the engineering classes. Yeah. But that that wake up to the sunrise sometimes often what you're the only one in the water. Maybe one other person's crazy enough to wake up there. Yeah. Really starts the day off perfect. I know. It's like in your high the rest of the day, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts of ACG as an organization? How can it help the ecosystem? Listen, I love organizations like ACG because one of the key paths to be successful in business and entrepreneurship is networking and it is building a village and it's finding mentors and it's all this kind of stuff, right? So it's not just sitting alone in your bedroom or your garage inventing the future. There's a lot of other aspects that's often underplayed. And so ACG is a great thing to help build that side of entrepreneurship and management. I'm here with CEO and founder of Blue Dot, Philip Bousseau. Philip, I have a question for you. Here in Silicon Valley, growth seems to be on the top of the mind of venture capitalists, of startups. Why is growth so important? And well, how does a company go about, I guess, growing in the right way, right direction? Hey, it's a great question. Rakan Daryl, the CEO of Logitech, once told me there is only growth or death. And what he meant by that is that if you want to create real and sustainable shareholder value, you have to grow your business faster than the market in which the business operates. You have to be the market. Otherwise, you're losing market share and your value decreases. So growth is really critical. And as a venture capitalist, if I could only ask for one number to get a sense of a business, I would ask them their growth rate divided by the growth rate of their market. And if that's a lot more than one, then I'm interested in the business. If it's less than one, I probably would not invest. And in your early career, you worked under Steve Jobs. You took, you were there when the company went from zero to 350 million. I mean, that company now, it's, well, everyone in the world knows. Was there any single lesson or key takeaway that you still, that still resonates with you today from your experience working under Steve? Yeah, I had the good fortune to work at Apple. And during the last year I was there, I worked directly for Steve Jobs. And that's how I lost my hair, in case you wondered. I learned many insightful lessons from Steve, but one in particular struck me. And I came to the realization that there is one and only one business on this entire planet. I realized that everybody is in the exact same business. And that unique business is the manufacturing and delivery of delight. Let me say this again. Everybody is in the same business, which is to manufacture and deliver delight. And that's really what Apple is all about. So what you're trying to say is Steve actually made you a lot more handsome than before. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends on whether you like me without hair or with my hair. I don't know. <laughs> so you're part of ACG. What do organizations like ACG, how do they play a role in Silicon Valley? And what's your involvement with ACG? Yeah, I've been on the board. I've been an executive board member of ACG Silicon Valley for almost six years now. And the organization is fantastic. And I, what I really like about it is that it brings people together to network and meet other people and exchange ideas. But we also organize a lot of events where the content is just fantastic. So we cover all kinds of topics like AI, like, like ethics in business, saving the planet. It's very vast, different types of suggest and subjects. And we bring domain experts and we have panels and the audience can interact. So it's both the community and then the content and learning things. Philippe, tonight, from my understanding, 
at everyone's table, there's a copy of your book, Blue Dots. Can you talk to us, share a little bit, what's the book about? Yeah, so the book is called Aligning the Dots, and it's all, it is the secret, it's the new way to grow any business. And it's a very universal approach, very data-driven, that is based on the fundamental notion that the maximum growth rate of a business can only be achieved when that business and its target market are perfectly aligned. And it's all about how do you realize that alignment, how do you measure it, and what do you do about it to rectify any misalignment so that you can grow faster. And that's what the book is all about. Can you share one tip or trick or one highlight from that book right now? Yeah, so the first alignment is the alignment between the pain and the claim. And the pain of the customer and the claim that the business makes to address that pain have to be aligned. If you have a headache and I show you a stomachache pill, well, you're going to say, I've got a headache, not a stomachache. You will never buy my pill because your pain and my claim are not aligned. That's fantastic. Philippe, thank you for your time today. And we look forward for to see you hand out the award today for what, what the it's award? It's the Outstanding Growth Award. It's the prestigious award that I will be giving out tonight. All right. We look forward to see who wins. Thank you, Sean. All right. We're here at the ACG Grow Awards. I'm here with Haley Tabor. Now, Haley, Dell is an amazing company. How does Dell go about measuring success? So our mission as a company is to create technology to drive human progress. And we start with the belief and the passion to do that. And we measure our success against that goal. Now, that said, we're a very big company. We're over $100 billion. We've got a very large organization with a very terrific breadth of product. So obviously, we're measuring that also. But for us, our core value comes to the advancement of human progress. How do you think that investors and companies can go about positioning themselves to create positive social change? That's great. I guess from a very basic perspective, I think if you have a platform to change for good, that it is table stakes and incumbent on all of us to do that. Innovation plays a huge role, whether that is around sustainability or environment or diversity. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for entrepreneurs and executives and leaders to make significant change in how we work, how we show up, how we interact. And I think there's a platform there for all of us to do that. And Dell is, I mean, the company is in such a competitive space. How do you separate your technology from all your other competitors? Yeah, so one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about my career at Dell is because we have the best technology to drive businesses and organizations and government and public. And we do that by being number one in most of our spaces. So we have a very huge breadth from the client through to the data center to cloud. And in most of those areas, we are number one. We are the number one in infrastructure. We're the number one in business critical client. So we take a lot of pride in that. But we also believe that there's things like supply chain. We have the largest supply chain in the industry. We deliver on 179,000 orders a day and supply chain matters. We have the largest customer facing organization in the tech industry. So our reach from segments of the market to geographies is tremendous. We have a world-class channel and partner ecosystem. So these are all the things that 
make us the best. And these are the things that get me really excited about the opportunity when we're working with our customers to be able to deliver on their business goals and objectives. That's fantastic. And you're here today at the ACG Awards. How does an organization like ACG play a part in the Silicon Valley ecosystem? So I love Silicon Valley. I love what I'm so passionate about ACG because it's just about networking and learning and collaborating. And we're at the heart of innovation here. And I've had an opportunity during my time working with ACG and Dell's a sponsor of ACG to really see opportunity for companies to come together, to brainstorm, to work out challenges, to make deals, to say, how do we better our organization? So to me, it's about networking and it's about friendship too. There's some great friendships that are formed and super relationships with a lot of our members. Our membership grows and our presence in Silicon Valley continues to grow as well. Haley, you're on the board of ACG here. Is there any exciting things on the horizon or anything that you can tell our audience about ACG that people can look forward to? So I am on the board and I think I am the first female chairperson that ACG Silicon Valley has had. And I've been doing that for a few years now. And I think that, like I said, it's just, it's a great opportunity for people to meet and work together. But I think we're just getting started. Like, I think ACG has a terrific opportunity in Silicon Valley to even reach more companies and drive more innovative conversations. So it's a great place to be. We're super excited about tonight with our Grow Awards. We couldn't do that in person for a little while. So it's going to be just a a wonderful evening. And thank you to Microsoft Summer for giving us the opportunity to host here. All right, Haley, thank you for your time. And we look forward to seeing you out there at the Grow Awards today. Thank you so much. I'm here with Martin and Ragu, who are the co-founders of Enphase Energy. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the problems you face or the challenges when developing your technology? Yeah, I think there were numerous and very significant problems that we were trying to solve at the time. I will recount one little story and then Martin will give, go into further details. I recall we both met back in 98, I think. We were both at a telecom startup. That's the first time we met. And we were doing some really cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, back for the late 90s, telecom boom. We were doing high-speed communication gear. And it was complicated stuff. And then when we started Enphase and we were looking at what Martin said he wanted to build was this little microinverter. I remember asking him, how hard could that be? <laughs> and he said, it's going to be harder than what we have ever done before. And here was this little device that we were building. So with that, I'll let Martin go into more detail. So yeah, the challenges to do a microinverter are numerous. And the first problem is efficiency or how little energy you waste in the conversion process. So we start from about a low voltage DC and we end up with 240 volt AC in most places. And that process has to be done with very high efficiency. Normally, when we started, it was in excess of 94%. And today, I don't know, it's 97 or 98%. 98%. It's very difficult to do this. Okay. So the so challenges to get the efficiency where it should be were just incredibly difficult to overcome. Another problem is reliability. The device is mounted on a rooftop and you don't want installers to go on a rooftop every other week to replace a dead unit. So we have to have efficient, I mean, reliability, which far exceed standard electronics type development. As Ragu said, we were in telecom and telecom, the availability rate is supposed to be at 99.999% of five nines. 
In this case, we have to be well over that because it's just too difficult to maintain a system, such a system. Okay. So reliability, we had to learn the hard way in many ways. And we had to devote a lot of energy and effort to, no pun intended, to do, to create the company culture, to create the processes that are involved in to achieving this. So that was extremely difficult. And in many ways, we didn't have anywhere to go to look to find such a thing. So that was very hard. And then the cost, it's, if you send something to the moon, cost doesn't matter, right? So you can do whatever you want and it, nobody cares. In this case, cost is critical to this system. So it's very rare to find actually a product or a company that can do all three things simultaneously. And that was really what made Enphase was that we were able, through trial and errors, many errors along the way, we were able to actually accomplish that. And of course, we can always improve things, but that's, that's why Enphase is what it is. Martin used to always tell me, he said, conventional wisdom in engineering is you got cost, you got performance, you got reliability, performance, efficiency, however you want to call it. Pick two. That's the conventional wisdom, right? You can't do all three. And I think that's the thing, that's the code we had to crack, was do all three of them. I think once we did, we knew that once we did it, the architecture, the distributed nature of the system was such that distributed architectures always win in the long run. A lot of existence proof out there. And one, if the if we could crack the code, we were, we'd be fine. How do you think your technology is going to impact society in the future? I think we both have, <laughs> we'd both like to say something about that. I think we are in a, in a very critical juncture with regards to climate change and our planet. And I think we have to deal with this problem in a very aggressive manner. The, we have to reach our one and a half degree C goal or the limit. We cannot exceed that one and a half degree C limit. Of, of temperature, which is the limit set, we have to reach it. We cannot cross it, and 2050 is the limit. Once you cross it, you're going to see the impact of that is it's well documented. You're going to see very significant change. So the stuff that we are doing, we really believe that we are on a mission here, right? We are on a mission. We got to get solar on every building in the world, every home, every office building, everywhere. We need to get. We need to get solar on, and this is the enabling technology for getting solar on every building and every rooftop. The thing that's alarming, quite honestly, is that we are looking at, in the U.S., penetration of solar is at 4%. 96% of people still don't, haven't been either convinced or have not committed themselves to doing solar as. And I think we're going to run out of time. We've got to leave this planet to the next generation in a more, in a more sustainable manner, in a better place than how we got it. And we are not, in, not headed in that direction right now. So I think it's imperative that we do something about it. That's why the stuff, everything, the technology and the products that, that we have developed and are continuing to develop are so important, right? And we have to do it. We don't have a choice. Can you give a brief rundown of what your company's product is? Yeah, let me. Yeah, so we are a, the way we describe ourselves is we are an energy technology company. And of course, we got our start in solar. We came up with a brand new technology, a different way of doing power conversion in a, uh, than it, how it was being done traditionally. Of course, what that solar has now morphed into is a complete energy system. We, Enphase, builds an energy system for the home 
And that includes solar, that includes batteries, that includes EV chargers, that includes how this energy system manages and interacts with the grid. What we are essentially building is this really resilient, very efficient, reliable microgrid for the home. And uh, we expect that if you look at how the grid is constructed today, it's in a very centralized manner, which is it's a hub and spoke. You do centralized generation, transmission, substations, distribution. And if the thesis holds true that distributed architectures always win in the long run and a lot of existence proof, particularly in Silicon Valley, if you look at data, if you look at how mainframes do what happens in data centers, if you look at mainframes to PCs, if you look at smart cars, if you look at cars becoming more intelligent, look at your phone, more and more in network parlance, more and more intelligence gets pushed deeper into the network and the endpoints are making more and more intelligent and autonomous decisions. That's our thinking. It's basically the way Martin envisioned it very early on was it's this reconstruction, rebuilding of the grid from the inside out, right? You have to rebuild this from the inside out in a truly distributed manner. You're on the right side of history when you do that, right? That's the goal. That's what Enphase does. All right, so you kind of said what I wanted to say, but that's okay. We are, what we're trying to do is to basically enable people to be, to control their destiny energy-wise, right? So you should be able to know exactly where your energy is going. That was one of your very first product, actually. You should be able to influence when and where the energy is coming from. And I think, as Raghu said, basically we're trying to empower people to manage, their, to be their own energy companies within their realm, right? And, and that's something which is, I think, very useful and very important in the future. And for tonight's event, how do you feel about winning the GROW Award here? And also, organizations like ACG, how do you think that they play a part in the Silicon Valley ecosystem? Yeah, if you think about it, this is a problem that we're trying to solve. It's so massive such massive scale that one company cannot individually solve this problem. And so it's going to take the collective might and willpower of a number of companies, the entire ecosystem to go solve this problem, right? This is where ACG plays the role is that you share ideas, you share goals, and you say, no, we've got to solve this problem because we won't be there to enjoy the fruits of everything that for labor if we are not really solving this problem quickly. I always joke about this is if Thomas Edison was walking down the streets of Mountain View, California, and he looked up at the energy infrastructure, he would recognize all elements of it. He would recognize the substation, the poles, the wires, the distribution transformer, the service entrance to the home, the meter. He probably worked on those G meters <laughs> a long time ago. So clearly that has to change. That's 125 years ago, 135 years ago. That needs to change, right? We need to reconstruct this whole infrastructure from the inside out. And that's what Martin is alluding to is that empowering the homeowner is how you go about doing it. Because once you empower the homeowner, you, your neighbor, you're all independent energy producers. And I can envision a day when you're transacting and sharing energy amongst each other. All right, Martin Regu, I want to congratulate you on your victory or your award tonight, and thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, very, you much. very much. I'm here with Jay Jodry, the founder of Zscaler. Jay, can you share some exciting projects or initiatives that you're currently working on? Of course, Sean. 
I have always believed in coming up with new, innovative, disruptive technologies. That's how my all five startups have been. Zscaler, the company I founded and funded, and I run it, it was done with the notion that when applications are everywhere, users are everywhere, the traditional notion of network security, securing the network will not be any good. Let's reimagine network security. Let's think outside the box. So we came up with the notion of literally creating a switchboard. A user connects to, comes to us. We say, who are you? Where are you going? We connect them to certain applications. So this is how Zscaler has been disrupting traditional world of network security, firewalls, and the like. That's going to call it phase one of exciting projects. So what's phase two? Today, over about 40 million users from 7,000 large enterprises go through Zscaler to secure themselves. And that includes over 40% of Fortune 500 companies. Now, when they go through us, we are like a check post. We are like an international airport. We check your boarding pass, your passport, your visa, and the luggage to make sure right person gets on the right flight for the right destination with safe luggage. That's how we offer security against a whole range of threats, ransomware, phishing, and the like. Now, this is part one. But as we really process that traffic, we create logs. Logs are like who went where, when, what, that type of stuff. So today, we have about 300 billion transactions logs a day. Each transaction creates a log entry. Just to give you a relative data point, a Google search engine, widely used. But on a daily basis, Google searches add up to about 8 or 9 billion. So look at the number of transactions we handle. Why is it this big? Because when our customers, whether it's Siemens or Shell or it is United Airlines, when any of their employees access anything on the internet or SaaS applications or LinkedIn or news sites or their application Azure, AWS or the data center, we are the security check post. So everything happens through us. Now we got lots of logs. Now these logs can be very valuable in figuring out potential threats and stopping them. Because before threats happens, bad guys do reconnaissance. Reconnaissance is about poking somebody here, PC application to see if they can get in. We see all of that. Now we have been doing AIML on these logs for a while, but AIML has really become very useful now. It can be scaled, applied against tons and tons of data. So our next big project is taking this data, which is not public data. It belongs to our customers, but leveraging it to be able to predict some of these breaches before they happen and help my customer take steps before breaches happen. So I'm very excited about this new area. You mentioned five companies. In this journey, were there any mentors or advisors that guided you, helped you in any way? Of course. I've been lucky. I've had lots of advisors. Along the way, some of them I work closely with. Some of them were advisors because I read about them. As a big fan of them, I followed them. Right. Early on, from very early on, Bill Gates was one of the early heroes and Steve Jobs. Those I never met either of those two guys. Actually, Bill Gates I met. Steve Jobs I never met. But they were essentially, you follow, you see how these guys are coming with new ideas. So they were inspiration for me. My first company was Secure IT. It means Secure IT. It was about securing enterprises when internet had just taken off. 
So this was 96 timeframe. Mark Andreessen had just launched this company called Netscape, Mozilla browser. And I was in Atlanta reading about all this. I said, wow, if internet takes off, cybersecurity will become an issue because your company is connected to this highway of internet. So I started a company to really design, architect, deploy security products like firewalls and the like. So the inspiration came from Mark Andreessen. One, he had done great stuff. The second thing I had was, if the young kid from UIUC Irvana Champion can do it, why can't I do it? Literally, that's how it started. Otherwise, I come from a tiny village in the foothill of the Himalayas in northern India. My father was a small-scale farmer. I have no background of entrepreneurship in my family. In fact, my father could never go to school because school was too far away. My school was four kilometers away, my elementary school, so I could walk. We got electricity after I finished my eighth grade. We got running water after I finished my 10th grade. So sometimes I wonder if my life is real or I'm dreaming. But it is Andreessen's company that got me thinking about startup, and that's how I got into a startup. The Zscaler inspiration came from Mark. Benioff. So why is that? I did the first company, which became very successful, the secure IT company in Atlanta. And I said, wow, startups are supposed to be hard. This was easy, actually. It must be a fluke. So let's do it again. So then I ended up doing three more companies, but I staggered them like having kids one or two years apart. They all worked out. Then I was sitting in 2007, 2008. I did not want to do one more startup and sell it. I wanted to do something big, something lasting. And I was at a stage of my life where I could invest whatever I want to invest in. So I looked at Salesforce. I've been using Salesforce since year 2001 in all of my startups. And at that time, Salesforce was doing merely $10 million in annual sales. And I was looking for what's the next big thing I should be starting and I want to do a lasting public company from day one. That's how Zscaler was started. So I looked at Mark. Salesforce was started to disrupt the world of data center-based applications. Siebel Systems was dominant at that time. And Salesforce started as a cloud-native multi-tenant architecture. And I loved the application. I used it. So I said, all applications should move to the cloud because it makes so much sense. And AWS was just born. It was nascent. And iPhone was just announced with a big screen. So my thesis was, if applications and data moves to the cloud, if we become mobile, why should security be done with firewalls and VPNs in your data center, which is like a castle and moat? Let's do something different. We build the like a phone switchboard. So users come to us, we connect to the right applications. So Andreessen was inspiration for me. Sorry, in this case, Benioff. And then later on at Zscaler, we have worked closely with Microsoft. Okay, I've been a big fan of Satya Nadella. I enjoy reading his book, Hit Refresh, when it came out. And we have a good partnership with Microsoft. We integrate with Microsoft services. They integrate with us. And together, we deliver far more value to our customers than we would individually do. With this amazing journey from, you mentioned, no running water to where you are now, what excites you about the future? It seems like 
lots of exciting stuff is happening. But if you look at in the past 20, 30 years, the world has fundamentally changed. Look at even India. I mean, it used to take 10 years of wait to get a phone line, traditional phone line, traditional phone. Today, you can walk up to any store and pick it up. The phone has changed the world. Internet, phone, audio, video, it's fundamentally changing the way things are getting done. I think a lot more could be done. I'm excited about Zscaler, which is really in the first phase of its journey. It's like the first innings. We are making sure the world can do online business securely and safely. The more business happens in the cloud on the internet, the more bad guys it's going to attract because they want a piece of the action without working hard. So to me, Zscaler is more than just a business. It's essentially a mission. Now, on a personal level, I am whatever I am because I love to study. Education, I think, is paramount for success in life to really get people to a better stage. So hopefully one day when I retire, I want to do something more in the non-profit world where imagine the best education, best content could be available to any student, no matter what background they come from, India or Africa or where they may be. That kind of excites me because education can open up so many opportunities for people. And this is my way of thinking about giving back to the world. How does organizations like ACG here in Silicon Valley, how does it help the community or is there anything about ACG that the events in that that you look forward to? Of course. Look, we do things by getting inspiration from each other. Everything I've done is getting inspiration. What ACG is doing is connecting people, entrepreneurs, exactly because they all have dreams and ambitions. And we look at each and say, wow, this is great. And by recognizing people, rewarding people, I think it's a wonderful thing. So I love the way missions of organization like ACG are to help entrepreneurship and the executive leadership. Jay, fantastic. Thank you for your time. Sean, thank you. Enjoyed it. I'm here with Ashley Tarver with Microsoft. Ashley, can you tell us about some of the exciting up-and-coming projects or developments at your company? Well, that's, that's, it's, it's hard not to think of Microsoft and think of artificial intelligence. The media is going crazy with the whole concept of open AI and the investments that we're making in that space. So I think what we're seeing is a shift in the industry, and we're trying to take advantage of it for our customers in that we can apply AI in such a way that it can impact the way businesses operate themselves and also how they can utilize AI to really transform the way they help their customers. So it's kind of a two-part process of improving their own methodologies, but also improving their capabilities to their own customers through AI. I'm excited. And with that, how does Microsoft address social and environmental challenges? Oh, actually, that's a really fun question. Microsoft actually has a full-time data science team or, or environmental science team that focuses exclusively on investigating ways to use real science to improve sustainability. We have initiatives. We have actually have a chief sustainability officer at Microsoft, and her responsibility is to help identify ways Microsoft can invest in that space. 
We have initiatives around zero water consumption. Instead of having zero emissions, we're trying to go negative emissions in the way we take try to contribute to the sustainability. And this building that we're in is a good example of how we've transformed the an existing building to become a sustainable, a very highly sustainable self-run facility on its own. This building is absolutely gorgeous for everyone here that's not attending the GROW events. You got to stop by. It's fantastic facility. But Ashley, are there any partnerships or collaborations that are in the works that you might be able to share or talk about? Actually, I have a really fun one I was thinking about just for this event. Since we're dealing with the ACG, the Association of Corporate Growth is really focused around M&A activities, mergers and acquisitions. And Microsoft has just made a major investment in helping with the due diligence of M&A activities. The ability to actually leverage technology to do a due diligence assessment on a new company's technology background, technical debt, cybersecurity risk, data privacy considerations to help the M&A community be able to do a better job at doing due diligence on the technical aspects of a company that might be acquiring or merging with. That's fascinating. And after the interview, I want to follow up and find out more about that. How do you stay motivated? and continue to innovate in your career? Well, I'm fortunate because the career I have is moving so fast. I focus on data and AI, artificial intelligence. And with the recent announcements around OpenAI and ChatGPT, it's really exciting to watch Microsoft customers. They're getting so excited about the actual capabilities. I mean, the technology around AI is not new, but the way it's being utilized and where it's becoming more inquisitive and more conversational makes it real at the human level. And it's really fun to watch how over the next literally several months, but several years, how it's going to transform the way we work, we live, and we play across every aspect of our life. And Ashley, can you share a little bit about your involvement with ACG? Oh, yeah. So I've been with ACG close to eight years now. And I've helped bring Microsoft on as a sponsor for the association. And I also have the the privilege of serving on the board of directors. So I get to have a really fun, high-level view of how we can impact the local community here in Silicon Valley. But also ACG is also a national organization. So it's also fun to watch how we can help impact the success of the association across the United States and globally. Final question. What excites you about ACG and the GROW Awards? Oh, That we're finally having them for the first time in a long time. Today's event is actually spectacular. It's a sold out show. And I think we're going to see a tradition started this year that will carry on every year afterwards. And I really think it's going to just continue to grow on its own level and start to really be kind of an impactful event that the local community will start to anticipate every year. Fantastic. Ashley, thank you for your time. You bet. It's been a lot of fun, Sean. I'm here with Chris Gentle, who with the tech practice at KPMG. Now, Chris, what role does artificial intelligence, how is it playing in the future of technology? Well, I think artificial intelligence, yeah, particularly when you see the recent developments in generative AI, it's hard to imagine any industry, any set of products or services looking forward that is not going to harness the power of AI. We look back, what is it, 30 years, the advent of the internet, And it started out as the communication tool, content, sharing, advertising, very quickly scaled to unmanage at the time, unmanageable applications and use cases. And I think AI has that accessibility, that ubiquity across industries. So it just sets the imagination alight what's going to happen. Other than AI, is there any technology out there that you see really disrupting or evolving and change in the next five or 10 years? 
Well, actually, I'd probably draw the link between most tech sectors and AI. I think AI is going to be the fuel, the enabler for all the sectors that we talk about in the limelight today. Think of autonomous. But yeah, AI is probably going to be the biggest driver of all current technology sectors that we talk about today. And, And who knows what else? Moving forward, how do you see startups effectively competing against larger, more established companies? I'd probably make the argument that they already do. There are advantages to being small. I think at the end of the day, you don't have to be big to get in front of the people that are trying trying to solve problems. You don't have to be a big company to get that closeness to what the real underlying root cause of the problems are and to the people that are trying to solve the problems. Other advantages like financial agility, unencumbered by OPEX, huge headcount, CAPEX obligations. Small companies have that advantage of just being able to switch from perhaps failing projects to new and exciting emerging projects. Not in all cases, but I would argue there are strengths, inherent strengths and always have been. And then throughout your journey, your career, are there any lessons you've learned around leadership that you can share? Yeah, leadership is a much dissected, talked about, pondered subject. And one of the elements that's always resonated for me that's often overlooked is just that ability to actively listen, not just listen, but to invest time to really empathize and read the weak signals between the lines of what the concerns of the people are or the problems they're trying to solve. I think that's the absolute cornerstone of being able to then deliver effective leadership. And Chris, can you tell us about your involvement with ACG? Happy to. Yeah. Proud to say that KPMG has been one of the founding sponsors, actually, of the Silicon Valley chapter of the ACG. This goes back more than 20 years ago. Personally, I've been representing KPMG on the board for more than 10 years now. Very excited to continue to do that. We've had a really good alliance, very healthy alliance. We've co-organized events. It provides a great platform for firms like KPMG to contribute to the ecosystem in Silicon Valley and to get the networking and other benefits out of it as well. So it's been a very good alliance. How can organizations like ACG, what impact do they have in the Silicon Valley ecosystem? I always think of the ACG as the glue that brings together and holds together meaningful relationships between entrepreneurs all the way through the value chain that companies are trying to establish all the way through finance, accounting, consulting needs, legal needs. They all come together under one house, as you see outside of this room now. All right, Chris, we're going to let you get out there and thank you for your time. And we'll see you on the, or the Grow Awards. Look forward to that. Thank you very much. I'm here with Garrett Herbert from Deloitte. Now, Garrett, what is the most rewarding aspect of working with technology companies? For me, the most rewarding aspect is really personal and it's really my interest. I love working with innovative companies. I love talking to smart people about complex things. And that's really what's most fun about, and it's more broadly than just technology. It's really the innovation economy here in Silicon Valley. Now, what problems do you think are the biggest ones facing technology companies? And well, how do you plan to address those in your work? So in my work, I look at my, I work in our mergers and acquisitions practice. And an important element of that is really helping connect innovative companies with capital. And it's really helping one innovative company connect with another. So I really enjoy that aspect of getting into the business model, helping people understand how the company operates. And then the most fun is actually seeing what happens post-transaction when you see actually how those companies realize their goals. What area of technology do you see evolving the most in the next five to 10 years? The question about what companies or what technology is going to evolve most. I mean, you can talk today. I mean, there's all sorts of discussion around AI. I'm super excited about that. 
I'm also really excited about some of the other technologies that people aren't thinking about. And there's plenty of technologies. There are common processes, common problems that we're in the first inning of how technology is going to impact. You think about areas like health tech, you think about ag tech. Technology hasn't really fully realized those big areas. And with more and more scale around the technology, we're going to have that impact. Can you tell us about your involvement with ACG? So ACG, I became involved with ACG when I moved back to the Bay Area about 15 years ago. And one of my partners at Deloitte had said to me, hey, there's this great group, great way to connect into the innovation economy. I had been out of the market for about eight years. So I found that it was a great opportunity to kind of get engaged through a great network of people. And it's really a network of networks, which really was very impactful. So there were ways for me to get engaged you know, around M&A topics, board of director topics, things of that sort. So that's really what's been the most rewarding part for me with ACG. And I, you kind of already answered it, but just to go a little bit deeper, how do organizations like ACG help the Silicon Valley ecosystem? Well, it is, I think it's the network of networks and where you bring together a lot of motivated people that are looking to really change things, whether it's a specific technology, whether it's in business. And ACG brings these people that might not otherwise meet together. And I really think there's some magic to where you can connect people and great things come from it. Fantastic. Garrett, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.